Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I started this broadcast series on Keys to Divine Healing, and uh, some of you might have been watching. There was Valerie at the end of the broadcast that asked us to pray for her brother who was in uh, the hospital ICU for COVID. And, uh, you know, I didn't know how serious it was. Hey, Pastor Tyler. I didn't know how serious it was, but I did know that if you're in ICU, it must be, you know, it's not just the sniffles. And so I knew that, uh, they, you know, she was contending for her for her brother for a turnaround story. And so we prayed on the broadcast and left it up to, we, we prayed in faith and said, Lord, you know, uh, do what you do best. Invade that hospital room and, and heal heal her brother. Well, this morning I got a, te- a text, from, or not a text, an Instagram message from her telling me that I didn't even know the backstory. So I was like shocked. Her brother had been in ICU unit or in the hospital for COVID. I don't know if he was on a ventilator or whatnot, but she had, he had been in, an, uh, in the hospital for a month and a half with COVID. And the Sunday before this broadcast, we did it Tuesday. So Sunday, last Sunday, the doctors had tried everything. His blood pressure was dropping. They had him on two medications for blood pressure. They said, we'll try a third, but you know, pretty much come in this week and say your final goodbyes, which is a message. It's a, uh, something you never want to hear your doctor or a physician t- say about you or anybody else in your family or someone you care about, because it's like, those are like haunting words, tormenting words. You know, there's, we've done everything we could do. Come and say your, your final goodbyes. If he hasn't, you know, written up his will, write up his will, you know, those are terrible words to hear. And so on Tuesday, she popped up on the broadcast. We prayed. Uh, Wednesday goes by. I get a message today that, you know, let me read it. It's probably better if I read it. So it's word for word. It just, it made my day. Good morning. I just want to thank you for praying for my brother Richard on Tuesday's podcast. We received some great news the next day from the doctor. So from Tuesday to Wednesday, from one day to another. He has been in the hospital for about one and a half months with COVID. On Sunday, before the podcast, they called and wanted to let us know it wasn't looking good. His blood pressure was super low and he was already on two blood pressure medications and they were going to add another one. They advised us to come down and say their good, our goodbyes which was hard to do since we can't even go into his room and touch and see him or touch him and, you know, hug him, which that's like the worst thing in all this is that even uh, I have, you know, my wife's uh, someone in her family that passed away just in December of not COVID, something else. And but because of COVID, people weren't even allowed to come into the room. I think only uh, his wife was allowed to come and see him. And I think the kids came in for like very, very few, maybe less, very few minutes, less than half an hour you know, in his last dying hours. And so that's a terrible thing. I, I received the call earlier last, no, later last year, probably in the fall of last year of someone who was dying of kidney cancer. And, uh, and, uh, they asked me to come and pray and we we're going to set up a hospital visit. And then when I set up the hospital visit, the, uh, the next day or two days following, they had changed the laws in our hospital in Montreal that there was absolutely no no warranted cases where, where you can come and visit your, not even, the only person that was allowed to visit the guy was her, his own wife. But no minister was allowed in. Nobody was allowed in. Uh, his children weren't allowed to come and see him. 
And so we had to cancel that visitation. I was only allowed to pray for him via FaceTime, which we, we did. And I was able to lead him in the sinner's prayer. He did not know the Lord. He prayed, accepted Jesus into his heart. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get there and lay hands on him. But, the, you know, that's a huge, a huge effect of this COVID crisis. That's why you have to pray that whatever is blocking, you know, the reopening of everything again has to be taken out of the way because people need to be ministered to in the hospital. People need to be ministered into the in the streets. People need to be ministered and come to church. Church needs to be open. It's an essential service. But when you have everything closing down because of uh, of a virus that first of all has a very anyways, I won't get into the political part of it. But if you have everything closing down, you know, I as a minister I'm ordered by God to the Bible says in James five to go where the sick are, lay hands on the sick so the sick can re can be recovered, can recover. So if I can't do that, you're, you're prohibiting the work of God. That needs to stop. So anyways, going on with this. They advised us to come say our goodbyes, which was hard to do since we can't even go into his room and touch him. On Wednesday, the doctor called and said they were able to take him off the blood pressure medication since his blood pressure was now at a normal rate and they were lowering his sedation meds. This is the first great news that we've had in, in a month and a half. I mean, that is the God of turnaround. That's what Jesus said. That when you call unto me, he didn't say I might answer you. He didn't say if I'm in a good mood that day, I'll, 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 I'll act in your favor. He said, all you have to do is cry out, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty works which you know not of. We prayed in agreement on Tuesday. It, it's not like, and three weeks later, you know, they received a message from the hospital saying that you can... No, the next day, they received a report saying your brother is, is already on the road to recovery. His blood pressure medication, they, we don't have to do all three anymore. His sedation, we're lowering the sedation level. It looks like he's turned for the good. Well, let me tell you, that didn't happen haphazardly. That didn't come randomly. That didn't happen by you know, sheer uh, coincidence or some random act of sovereign will on God's behalf. No, that happened because a, a woman, Valerie, had faith to put her brother's name in that comment section. And as we prayed in agreement, things turned around. God is a God of turnaround. He can reverse the irreversible. He can turn things around. When the doctor said there's nothing else we can do, with man things might be impossible. With God all things are possible. He's the unchangeable changer. He's, you know, he's the God that when Lazarus was dead, dead, not blood pressure problems, no blood pressure, not uh, brain problems, no brain activity, not kidney problems, no functioning kidneys, not lung problems, there was no air going into those lungs to do anything in the first place, not heart problems, no heart rate, and the Bible says God didn't just raise him from the dead, and then whatever sickness he had prior to him dying was still there, and he died five days later, but his family had five more days with him, and they gave thanks to God for that, no, he lived on he fulfilled the number of his days God not only resurrected Lazarus anything that had been sick and disease in his body 
was supernaturally healed by the power of God. And I tell you, as you're watching right now, God's not only going to resurrect anything that's died in your body, everything that can't be cured, anything that can't be cured or repaired can be recreated. God is going to do a creative miracle for you today. God is going to, you know, all, the Bible talks about quite often that the, the nostril, the breath of his nostril, God breathing through his nostril and the wicked just vanishing, God, it doesn't take God much to heal you. It's not the greatest display of God's power was Christ's resurrection from the dead. That was the greatest display of God's power. Your, that sickness in your body, that disease, that pain, that symptom, that infirmity, it doesn't take God more than a, a blow from his nostril to blow that devil out of your system and to restore you fully to the original function of what he created you to be. God did not create you to be from ailment to ailment. God did not create you to be from sickness to sickness. God did not um, create you so you can go from one ditch of a pain to another ditch of another pain. God created you in his image to walk in his glory. The Bible says that you are to glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which belong to God. You are God's property and God, God dislikes, is not dislikes. It's abhorrent to God to see something pervert, twist and torment the original function of his property. You know, if you if you have a child, you would never, I mean, how many of you have had your, your kid have sickness or, or maybe even a sniffle or fever or whatever, and you said, man, just seeing him in that condition, I would do anything to take that on myself. I would do anything if it meant him not having that fever, I will gladly absorb the effect of that fever if it meant him running around again the, around the house. Well, let me, who do you think put that in you? Who, where do you think that feeling, that compassion, that love came from? It's not natural to think that way. God wired us as parents to care and nurture for our children because he himself cares and nurtures and nourishes us by his power. He desires to see you well. He's not trying to test you or train you or discipline. No, no, even if you're a kid, did something like he broke your most prized possession. He he went into your guitar cases and started like plucking strings off your guitars, or he took your 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 nicest um, vase that was passed down from your great great grandfather and grandparents, and and you had kept that preserved in your family line for many years, and he tipped it over and it accidentally broke. None of you, none of you would ever unless you're you're mentally deranged but if you're in your your sanity if you're in if you're sane none of you would ever discipline a child by breaking his leg none of you would ever discipline your child by injecting him with cancer none of you would discipline your child by exposing him to a carcinogen or exposing him to some sort of like uh poison None of you would give him raw pork as a result so he can have stomach problems for the next couple of days and potentially die. You'd be twisted in your mind to do that. Well, do you think God is less loving than you or more evil than you? No. The Bible says if you parents know how to do good things, you treat your children rightly. How much more do you suppose God will treat and, and, uh, and, 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 treat and, and nourish his own children? So you got to get that out of your mind. God, 
God is as disgusted as sin in someone's life as he is with sickness. And so we're going to get in it. We covered point number one on Tuesday, which was you have to, number one, you have to understand God's will is for you to be healed. Number two, you have to understand, and we, we covered, you know, if you have time afterwards, I would recommend you go and watch Tuesday's broadcast if you didn't catch it. Number two, we covered that uh, sickness has its root and its origin in Satan. The devil is the oppressor. Jesus is the healer. The Bible says that Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with boils. So anybody that tells you that God is at the end of this sickness is perverting and twisting the nature and, um, and, and love of God, his character, which is love. God does not send sickness on anybody. You know, they always like to sing that song. They give and take away. And uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And they're quoting Job's words in that song. However, if you study the full book of Job, you'll realize at the end of Job, God rebukes Job for saying those words. God doesn't give sickness and take away health. If you want to sing that song, you can sing it in the way where God gives health and he takes away sickness. He gives and takes away. Yeah, he gives me righteousness and takes away sin. He gives and takes away. Yes, he gives me his glory and takes away my shame. He gives me life and takes away death. So understand that sickness, sickness comes from hell, from Satan. Bible says the thief comes not but the steal, kill and destroy. Jesus came so that you can have life and life more abundantly. Number three, understand, and this is where we're going to continue. Understand that sickness is listed as a curse of the law in the book of Deuteronomy. I want to read this with you. I touched on this Tuesday, but I want to go into it more depth. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and beginning with verse 58. The Bible says the following. If you're just tuning in now, you do me a great favor if you share the broadcast and um, get this out to as many people as possible. You'd be a great help to me. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58. If you don't carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you. Now, if you study, I think it's Young's literal translation, who was a Hebrew scholar uh, in in studying this passage where the scripture says the Lord will bring upon the actual verb or the word used there is not causative. It's actually permissive. So God is not saying I'm going to cause these things to come on you. He's actually saying in the Hebrew, if you study it to the original, the etymology of the word used there is not I'm going to do this to you. It's that I'm going to permit these things to happen. Meaning that when you step out of divine covenant with God, these things will naturally take place take root in your life you know if i i if i got out if there's a windstorm outside and rain and 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 flooding and i left my house and i went outside and then i started to complain that the rain was too cold and the water hitting my feet was rising too high and the wind was too uh too too ferocious or something i i would i would be looked on as someone who's kind of rid ridiculous because I'm causing it to myself. By me being outside, if I complain about those things, I'm literally causing all those things to come on myself uh, based on where I've positioned myself. The Bible says when you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, you can abide under His protection. When you step out of covenant with God by rebellious living, by living your own way, there's a way that seems right unto men. If you go that way, this, the Bible says, the end thereof is the way of death. So you can't complain when these things come on you when you live in 
unrepented sin. If you are constantly pulling the middle finger to, finger to God and then complaining that God's never got your back, then you, you have some loose screws in your brain because the Bible is very clear. The covenant of God belongs to those that keep his word and abide by his covenant, abide by his terms. It, it, um, you know, it's like when you download something on your MacBook or on your, your computer. Before you can install the software, you have to click the box that says, I agree, I accept the terms and the conditions. Until you click that box, the install box, the install button remains gray. It's, you can't even click it. No matter how hard you try, it will never install onto your computer. A lot of people are in trying to install the blessing of God in their lives without agreeing to the terms and the conditions of the covenant you have to first agree to the conditions of the of the covenant the bible says in john 14 21 he that has my word and keeps it he that has my commandments and keeps them they are the ones that love me and i will love them and i will manifest myself to them so it doesn't say that you know that's a very uh, uh poor translation of the Bible or uh, perspective of the Bible when people start to preach things like God's promises are unconditional. That's not true. God's promises are not unconditional. The Bible very well says in 2 Corinthians 1 20, I believe it is, that the promises of God are yea and, in, and amen only in Christ Jesus. Only in Christ Jesus, only in abiding by Christ's commandments are the promises of God, yes and amen. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and 3, His divine power is available to us only in the knowledge of His word and His commandments. The Bible says very clearly, the secrets of the Lord are for those that fear Him. The Bible says in another area that um, blessed be the... The Bible says in Psalm 103 that the, the paths of the Lord are good to those that keep His commandments and such as do keep His testimonies. So the, the commandments, the, the covenant, sorry, of God, the promises of God are not unconditional. They're not, you can live your own way and then expect to still download and install the blessing of God in your life. You have to keep, that's why Paul said, I keep a firm watch on my own body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection to the desires of my spirit. I keep it in check lest I myself should be disqualified. Disqualified from what? Disqualified from the table of the Lord, disqualified of being a partaker of the inheritance of God, disqualified of being a member and a, a benefactor of the blessing of God here on the earth. So, and if you study the Bible, Deuteronomy constantly is saying, if you diligently adhere, if you will keep my commandments, if you will study and, and abide by my statutes, then it shall come to pass. It does not say, no matter what you do, God's going to heal you. No matter what you do, God's going to save you. No matter what you do you know that's that book that was written several years ago by by um uh, an apostate preacher that he wrote the book and its title was love wins that at the end of it all hell doesn't even exist because love wins at the end of it all god's going to overlook all your transgressions no matter if you accepted and lived in repentance the rest of your life or not god's going to say love wins and every he's pretty much going to say i was playing a big trick on you it was all a big uh, scheme of mine just to see how human you know you're an experiment pretty much how human behavior would react to all this notion of hell and punishment and stuff but really i never meant any of that and that's a load of junk that is 
doctrines of demons that the enemy is trying to seep into the church so that he can deceive, if possible, even the elect. No, every promise of God has conditions every problem even salvation does not come naturally on you none of you were saved because you stumbled into salvation none of you were saved because you were walking one day and an angel came to you and said you're going to be saved whether you want it or not and he hit you with his staff and all of a sudden a new life emerged no some of you understand the 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 the, the reality that salvation is, comes as a result of Romans 10. You shall believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and live a life in repentance and then you shall be saved. So you're not just saved randomly. You're not just saved by act of divine uh, measures. No, you are saved because you took, you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, you believed the gospel and you acted accordingly and as such, the new life of Christ emerged from you. You're no longer your old self. And the Bible says old things have passed away. You've become a new creature. God takes out the heart of stone. All that happened because of an act of faith that you initially took. That initial step of faith triggered salvation in you. And it's by grace through faith are you saved. It was that faith working out. Well, the same way we receive salvation by faith, we also receive everything else by faith. And faith works in line with covenant. If you will do these things, God said, I'll do my thing. God told Moses, if you will take that rod and wave it over the Red Sea, I, God, will fulfill my end of the covenant and I'll split the sea for you. Abraham, if you will indeed sacrifice Isaac, I, God, will bless you and in blessing I'll, I'll, I'll bless you and multiply and I'll multiply and you remember he never even had to sacrifice Isaac that was just a test but at the end God said because you didn't withhold because you didn't withhold obedience in this area because you didn't withhold uh, obedience in that area God said in blessing I'll bless you and multiply and I'll, I'll multiply you and your descendants shall inherit the, the gates of your enemies even Jesus when he came and cut a covenant by his blood, it was by act of obedience. He left his abode in heaven and came in the form of man. And through obedience, he became obedient to the point of death. And because of that death, that obedience leading to death, there was bestowed on him a name that is higher than any other name. So you can see promotion in the kingdom, healing uh, the power of God at work in you. Anything God will do for you comes as a result, direct result of covenant. So let's read. When you don't obey my covenant, then the Lord will not cause, but will allow, permit you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring on you, and like I said before, Bad translation. It's actually he will uh, he will permit these things. He will permit on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they will cling to you. And every sickness and every plague that is not written in this book of the law will the Lord cause uh, the Lord bring on you or permit on you until you're you are utterly destroyed. And you'll be left few in numbers, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. We see that happen, you know, in Exodus 15, 26, and I'll read it after. You see God give a covenant 
to Israel. And he reveals one of his redemptive names, Jehovah Rapha, which is, I am the Lord who heals you. And he says, if you'll keep my covenant and if you'll obey my statutes, I, the Lord, will not allow any of the diseases that came upon the Egyptians, which you knew in Egypt, to come on you, for I, the Lord, am he who heals you. Well, in Numbers chapter 11, you see the people of God complaining against God, complaining against Moses. And as so, what happened? The Bible says plague began to take over the people of God on the earth. The, the serpents began to come out of the, you know, the woodwork and fasten on their legs and fasten on their hands. And the, the venom began to cause them to begin to cause a fever and, and, and a burning fever, the Bible says. And 14,000 died in like one day because of that. Well, what did they do? The Bible says they then, they then uh, cried out to Moses and Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a, a way out. And he said, if you'll fashion a serpent upon a wooden pole, a brazen serpent, and lift up that serpent, it shall be that whosoever will look unto the serpent, no matter how far that fever has gone, no matter how far that sickness has gone, if you'll look to the serpent, the Bible says that man will look and live. Well, Jesus reiterated what happened in Numbers, numbers um, 21, by, by the way, not Numbers 11. Numbers 21, he said, it, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and all who looked were healed, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up and whosoever shall look to me shall have the life of God, everlasting life flowing through him. So you can see. That when they broke the covenant, sickness came as a result. When they broke the terms and conditions, they had no way out. There was no way of escape. Well, I want to read Galatians chapter 3. And I want to... So we saw, first and foremost, Deuteronomy 28 tells us that sickness is a result of a penalty. It's a penalty of the, the curse of the law. It comes as a result of the curse of the law. But Galatians chapter 3, this new Bible I'm like still getting used to. Galatians chapter 3 says this, verse 10. As many are, on, are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things which are written under the book of the law to do them. And remember the law was given to show man their depravity. That we cannot satisfy the demands of God in our own human nature, in our own human flesh and strength. The law served as a tutor. It was a teacher to show man we can't do it on our own. We need Christ. So as long as you're under the works of the law, you were under the curse until, unless you did, you followed the, 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 the routine of, uh, of atonement every year. But we realize that we don't have to sacrifice a goat or an oxen every single year or a lamb. We have the lamb of God that was made manifest to take away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. And so what happened when Jesus died? The Bible says that no one justified by the law is evident for the just shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. The one who, want, who does them shall live by them. Get this, verse 13. Memorize this verse. Memorize this verse. Christ has redeemed us, not will redeem us, not is working to redeem us. Christ has. So I just read Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 62, that part of the curse of the law is sickness, disease, even sicknesses that are not named in the book of the law. All of that 
is um, packaged or enveloped or it, it, it's all, it all belongs to the curse of the law. It all came as a result of the curse of the law, the curses that came upon mankind through disobedience. But listen to this. Christ has redeemed us. Not is going to redeem us. I think that most people would do good if they took a basic elementary grade three English lesson and then read the Bible. Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Numbers 21, they complain against Moses. God allows venomous serpents to come and bite them. They begin to have fever and so they just drop off one after another. God tells Moses, if this is ever going to leave, you need to take a wooden pole, fashion on it a brazen serpent, a bronze serpent, which bronze, if you study the Levitical law, had to do with the judgment, divine judgment. So, God literally was telling Moses, I'm going to show you what you should do. The thing that has been sent, the, the, the penalty of their complaining, the curses that was released on the people of God, the Israelites, due to their complaining, take that thing, a, light, a, a, a symbol of it, fashion it on a wooden pole. Take the thing that is the curse, fashion it on a wooden pole in bronze. Lift up that wooden pole, and anyone that looks to it will live. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the wood, that, that pole, that brazen serpent in the wilderness, so shall I, the Son of Man, be lifted up, and anyone who believes on me shall live. Jesus, while he was on that wooden pole, that wooden post, that beam, was God laying the God was laying the fullness, the entirety of the curse on him in his physical body. No wonder it, he didn't take five days, four days. Sometimes it took three to five days to die of crucifixion. He didn't die in three to five days. The Bible says he died in like six hours. Why? Because he on that cross was not just taking our sins. He was taking the penalty and the curses and the consequences of all our sins. That sickness in your body, that tumor in your body. Jesus already took that tumor in his body. That tumor in your brain, that growth on your arm, that diabetic pancreas, that liver that's failing, that kidney that's not working and functioning properly, those lungs that are die now Jesus already took upon himself just like the curse was laid on the wooden pole in Moses's day the curse was laid on Christ as he hung on that wooden pole to absorb the penalties of sin in his body so that we can be totally absolved ridden freed from the law of sin and death and I want to I want to ask you something if under the ministration of death, 2 Corinthians 3 calls the Old Testament and the laws Moses brought was actually a ministration of death. If under the ministration of death, the ministration of the law, God's power was, was made real, not only to, for, remember, God not only forgave the sins of the people of Israel 
because they had complained against Moses when they, when they looked to the pole. He not only forgave the sins, he healed their bodies. If under the ministration of death, under a less glorious covenant, which the Bible says is a less covenant because we have a better covenant based on better promises, if under the, that Windows 95 covenant, God was willing not only to forgive, but to heal their bodies. How much more do you suppose if you look to Christ hanging on that cross today, seeing him as the substitute for our sin, seeing him as the substitute for our sickness, that he took, absorbed, bore. He bore the load of your sickness so that you wouldn't have to carry it another day in your life. How much more do you suppose under this new covenant which ministration, the Bible says, which glory is not fading away as it did in the days of Moses. Shall you now, if you'll just one look at that cross, be free at last from all form of harassment in your body. This, this type of doctrine isn't taught anymore. People are, are just taught. Just be happy. God's forgiven your sins and that's it. You'll make it to heaven. And that's great. If that was all it was, then praise God. But the Bible says he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Shall he not freely give us everything else to enjoy? Which leads me to my next point. Understand the redemptive work of, pro of Christ. Point number four. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. It is my favorite scripture in the entire Bible. Isaiah 53, if you're just tuning in, now, tuning in now, you'd do me a great favor if you shared the broadcast. Verse 1, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root of, out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. As we, and he was despised, yet we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and he has carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. The Jews, they thought that he was, he was being crucified because he was... Um, actually out of divine order. They thought it was like, see, you go off mouthing off and blaspheming, calling yourself God, look what happens to you. If you really are the Son of God, command that angels come and take you off that cross. The Bible says, they, they esteemed him not. They thought he was stricken and smitten by God. They thought the cross was actually a punishment for Christ's obedience. It was actually our punishment laid on him. But he was wounded for our transgressions, pierced through. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. I want to ask you something. Isaiah 53, 5 covers everything the redemptive work of Christ bought and purchased for us. Number one, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our sins. So... If we're going to throw out by his stripes we're healed, then we have to throw out by his piercings or the, the piercings of his hands and of his feet. We're, we're, we, we can't even trust in God that we're forgiven by, his, by the piercings through his hands and his feet. If we can't trust God that by his stripes we're healed, then 
How could we have any grounds to trust God that by his piercings we're forgiven? By the holes that he took in his hands, by the blood shed by that, that we're forgiven. Why would God show more mercy under the old covenant when it, anyone that came to God in faith in the old covenant was healed? So why would God show more mercy in that old covenant than he does in this new covenant that isn't sealed by the blood of a ram or by gold or by traditions of our fathers or by an oxen, but was sealed by the blood, the blood, the precious blood, a blood without spot or wrinkle, without blemish, the blood of Jesus Christ, the incorruptible blood, the blood of his own son. The redemptive work of Christ is enough. If you just took this one point today, it's enough to expel even the most vile form of sickness from your body. Because you're not, don't see yourself as the one who's responsible to carry that disease. See Christ as the one who bore the load of that sickness. And as such, I'm alleviated from it. There was a man, that, a woman that was brought to Kenneth Hagin as he was uh, doing a revival service once. And the church he was preaching and actually did not believe in divine healing. And so they, uh, that lady was, was paralyzed. She had gone into a car accident, was paralyzed for nine years. She didn't have any faith built up in her to be healed. Doctors said you're going to be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. So she'd given up on that. She didn't have a reaction against it. She thought, she thought it was just a normal part of life that ultimately, you know, everybody has their own struggle. Some people struggle in, uh, in bad habits. Other people struggle with money. And I, you know, we're just, I'm just given this lot. I'm here to struggle with sickness. And so she just, she gave up. So when Hagen came in and started to preach divine healing in that service, they brought him, they brought her to him. But the pastor strongly urged him, don't pray for her, please. Like you, almost like, you know, I've tolerated your message here the whole week. Please at least spare me the embarrassment of praying for this lady who's paralyzed so I don't have to, I don't have to, um, I don't have to like explain why things didn't happen after and go through a seven week series after as to why miracles don't happen and all that junk. And he, he, he totally ignored the will of the pastor. And, you know, obviously we obey God rather than man. So the lady was brought to him and he took his Bible and put it open to 1 Peter 2.24. And it says his own body, he bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we being dead to sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Ye were healed. Past tense. And he took that and he had her read it. And he said... Does the Bible say you are going to be healed? Or does it say past tense? Is it future tense? Or is it past tense? And she said, well, it looks like it's past tense. And uh, he said, okay, good. So that being said, is healing something you need to stretch to the future to, to arrive at? Is it something that we're waiting to arrive at? Or is it something that's already arrived and we just need to take it by force? She said, from that scripture, it seems to be it's something that's already happened. The healing has already been made available, and it's something that we need to just take it by force. And when she said that, it's like a light bulb went on. And so they prayed. The moment they prayed, she 
He said, by faith, get up. You know, you don't just, you don't just confess the promises of God on your sickbed and do nothing about it. If your confession is heart-rooted, you're going to do something about it. If you're, you know, on a bed of illness and all you're doing is confession and don't do any acting on the Word of God, then that confession is empty and void. It has to be followed up by an action. She got up. She got up. And that right then and there, I mean, the revival meeting broke out. She began to walk around the sanctuary and the pastor was just there with his mouth gape open, gaping open, not understanding what had just transpired. But you want to know something? People that preach that sickness is just another part of life. Sickness is like something you have to tolerate. Sickness is um, a, a way to glorify God. You know, all the religious jargon that's preached out there. People that preach that never see miracles. The Bible doesn't say be followers of them who can explain away the promises of God. The Bible says we are to be followers of them who what? Who obtain the promises of God. Don't follow people that have never... You know, there's people that write books on miracles. They've never even witnessed a miracle. There's people that write books on... There's theologians that aren't even saved that write books on, on soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. They don't even know what they're talking about. Don't read books. I wouldn't read a book on the atoning work of Christ written by Ricky Gervais, who's an atheist and doesn't, doesn't care one bit about, about the work of Christ. Would you read a book on plumbing from me? If I wrote a book on plumbing, I've never, I can't even plumb my kitchen sink if I tried my best. Would you read a book on, on uh, culinary arts? From me, who's never been a chef in any restaurant, if I cook anything, I have to look it up on YouTube. That's, that's the only way I'll ever get anything good in my belly that I make. Or would you rather read the book on the culinary arts written by like Gordon Ramsay or, um, you know, some, some other well-known chef. What's that guy's name? Uh, that guy's name on YouTube. Jamie Oliver. I'd rather read it from him or Gennaro from Italy. The guy who's like a, an Italian genius when it comes to Italian food. Much rather from them. Well, in the same way, why do you waste your time reading books? Uh, you look at the books behind me. If I have a book on healing, it's because it's written by a guy. Like, for example, this book, T.L. Osborne's book, Healing the Sick. I didn't buy this book and study it year after year because T.L. Osborne, you know, he's got good doctrine and... Um, uh, but ultimately, you know, he has no testimonies in this entire book. It's all just thesis. It's all hypothesis. It's all, it's all just, uh, you know, developed information in his brain that he sketched down on paper. No, it's proven doctrine. How is it proven? Because of the works that it produced. Jesus said, wisdom is justified by her children. If the wisdom you have is not producing good children, good works, good acts, good uh, results, then the wisdom is not from God. The Bible says, James 3, the wisdom which is from above is full of good fruits. So I read books by T.L. Osborne, Healing the Sick, F.F. Bosworth, Christ the Healer, Keys to Divine Health by David Oyedepo, where if you watch any Sunday service, of Faith Tabernacle, Winner's Chapel in, in Ota, Nigeria. It's plastered by healing testimonies. 
I mean, I remember watching one where there was a lady born without a womb. And her husband and her, and her were both contending for the fruit of the womb. They wanted a, a restored womb, that God would recreate a womb in her body. And so they came one day to church, heard this message of, 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 um, of divine healing and creative miracles and all that. And so they began to ask God in faith for a child. Hard to ask God for a child in the natural when you have no womb. But when you understand that he's the God of all flesh and nothing is too difficult for him, then what do you, what do you see happen? Her husband asked for a boy. She asked for a girl. Nine months later, the God of miracles, like 10 months later, she's testifying or 11 months, whatever it was, 12 months, 12 months later, she's testifying in church. Doctor said there's no womb on that x-ray. Testifying in church now. With a set of twins, one on each hand. I mean, where does that come from? Jesus, the Bible says they came to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. So obviously what they were hearing from Jesus caused faith to rise up so that they can receive healing of their infirmities. He wasn't preaching. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says maybe. I don't care what any man has said or any sect of, uh, of Christianity has said. I don't care what any denominational doctrine attests to and states. What I care about is what the Word of God says. And the Bible says He heals my diseases and He forgives all my sins. The Bible says very clearly in James chapter 5, Are any among you sick? Which that in itself is an amazing statement because James had to ask that church. He had to even, it's not like sickness was like a regular part of the early church. He had to ask, are there any among you sick? Signifying that sickness was not a regular way of life for most Christians in the early church. The early church was an emblem of divine health, a symbol of divine health. The Bible doesn't say Peter was going from hospital to hospital and they, they didn't know what was wrong with him. The Bible says just the shadow of Peter falling on people was healing them of their infirmity and ailments. Just his shadow. So let me ask you a question. In this Laodicean age of the church, Revelations 3, a lukewarm age, indifferent age, deprived of miracle power in many parts of the earth, if this Laodicean age of the church is saying the age of miracles has passed and gone by, am I to say that that doctrine is of a truer witness to God's character than the early church was? I mean, think of that. We are in an age where the Bible literally says, that doctrines of demons and seducing spirits will, dis will mislead and deceive many. And the doctrine that's been preached in the last 200 years, and, and more than that, has been God's glorifying himself in the sickness and all that. And as a result, it's produced what? A very great gap between what we saw in the book of Acts and what we see today. 
So am I to say, take what we're experiencing here in this indifferent, lukewarm age of the church as a truer witness to God's nature than the actual early church? No way. I look at the book of Acts as a blueprint of what the church is to look like today. There was a lady, Tabitha, who died. A believer. She was sick and she died. And they, pled, they were pleading for Peter to come by their way. When he came, what did he do? Did he officiate the funeral or did he disrupt the funeral and raise her up from the dead? Jesus was a professional at interrupting funerals. Luke chapter 13, a widow of Nain is carrying her, people are carrying her son's body out in a casket and the funeral procession is going on. What did Jesus do? He was moved with compassion for her. Saw that she had lost her husband maybe that year, who knows? And now her son. And it grieved Jesus' spirit. You know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Sickness grieves the Holy Spirit. And what did Jesus do? Father, we just pray that she would have peace in this time. And No, he touched the casket and the body sprang back to life. And he handed, it handed him over to her mother, his mother. Alexander Dowie in Australia was having to do, it was during the bubonic plague. So many people were dying in his church. He like lost a third of his congregation, some crazy number like that, from to this plague. And he went to God and, and was about to do another funeral that day. Sorry, not another funeral. He was going to pray for a, a lady named Mary uh, the, that day. And he was praying in the morning. And uh, Mary had contracted the plague. And he was going out that day to pray for her. And in prayer, as he was, he, he was going to, before he was out and set out to go and pray for, the, for the, the lady named Mary, he began to pray and ask God, you know, why this was going on. And he was, he was angry about it. He said, I refuse to bury another church member. I refuse to let this keep going till I have no church. I refuse to have this continue. Until you reject the work of the devil, you'll never accept and live in the reality of God's promises. Until you reject, there has to be a forceful rejection. Enough is enough. I'm not created for sickness. I wasn't created to have pain in my body. I was created to radiate God's health through me. Peter didn't just have enough health for his own body. Peter created and set up an environment of health everywhere he went. Jesus was so intolerant of sickness when he goes to Peter mother, Peter's mother-in-law's house and sees her lying there sick with a fever. He couldn't, even, he couldn't even ignore it. He immediately ran to where she was, touched her body, rebuked the fever, and said, get up. And she rose up and served him. Light can't stand darkness. There's no fellowship between the two. God is not in a back room with the devil plotting how they can make you sick this year. They're not in cohorts, uh, cahoots together. They're not allies. They're not working together some master plan. The devil has a diabolical plan to wipe you out. Jesus said, I have a heavenly plan to raise you up, strengthen you, heal you, 
The Bible says there is no fellowship between light and darkness. There is no, uh, the Bible says there's no covenant between the table of demons and the table of, of heaven, the table of God. There's no agreement between Belial and Christ. 2 Corinthians 6. One drives out the other. So John Alexander Dowie's praying, angry at what's been going on, and the Lord, he said, it thundered in my spirit. Man, when the Lord speaks, there's a difference between reading this book and then having this book speak to you. A lot of people can quote the scripture, but how many have had the scripture thunder in their hearts? Where it's like Peter said, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? A lot of people said, hey, he must be one of the prophets. He must be Elijah or maybe John the Baptist raised from the dead. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ. A lot of people say Jesus is no longer in the business of doing miracles. A lot of people say that the age of miracles is gone. Je a lot of people say, you know, when, when the last apostle died, there ended the healing ministry of Jesus. But who do you say that Jesus is? That's what's important. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And today you should say, Thou art my healer, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood could never reveal this to you. Just studying and educating yourself, which is not a bad thing to do, but just that alone will not be able to illuminate that in your heart. No, it is my Father in heaven who hath made this truth real to you. It's not mental assent. It's not merely agreeing with the Word of God. It's, it's a, a revelation, a deep excavation in your heart where God has placed that truth of divine healing. Alexander Dowie heard the, the scripture, Acts 10, 38, no doubt you know of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. When he heard doing good, healing all, he immediately understood Jesus is the healer, the devil's the oppressor. He went to that lady Mary's house. He laid hands on her, rebuked the, that. He understood now. He wasn't just dealing with a, a natural form of sickness as just a regular part of No, he understood this is a devil. Smith Wigglesworth, when he would pray for people that were sick, he would oftentimes punch them in the area that they were sick. And he said afterwards, I don't deal with sickness the way others, like doctors do. I'm not here to treat the sickness. I'm here to boot it out. Because he said, whenever I see a tumor, I see the face of the devil. And I don't treat him as a gentleman, neither should you. The devil's not a gentleman. Don't treat him as such. He is the, ad he's the accuser of the brethren. He is the, lion, the one who's like a lion who seeks to devour the Bible says he is the destroyer of men's destinies. He's the one who tries to make city, cities into a wilderness. He's the one that is the agent of death. He's the one that is a deceiver and a murderer from the beginning, the scripture says. So don't treat him like he's your pal. Don't placate, nurse, tolerate, invite. When you tolerate sickness, you invite more sickness into your house. But when a holy boldness rises up like it did in Alexander Dowie, you cast that thing out. What happened? 
From that moment onward, they didn't bury another church member un until his term as pastor of that church finished. Not one church member was buried after that revelation came. That'll show you the power of revelation. Number, number four, understand the redemptive work of Christ. Number five, let me blow through these. Number five, never build an entire doctrine around a snippet of scripture. People always use, and I, I talked about the thorn in the flesh last time, so you can go on the last broadcast, and I might put out a, like a 10-minute teaching uh, just dealing with that in the near future. But a lot of people use the scripture in Timothy where it says, Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Well, look, Paul left someone sick. Obviously, not everybody gets healed in the plan of God. Uh, I've preached crusades where not everybody got healed, and I've left them unsaved. Does that mean God's salvation package is not for everyone and universal? Absolutely not. You have to accept and appropriate the blessing for yourself. So just because it says Paul left Trophimus sick at Miletus doesn't mean, well, look, sometimes God leaves. Did Jesus? First of all, the Bible doesn't say Paul is the standard and Paul is the model of who we should live like. The Bible says Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. Not Paul is the author and perfecter of our faith. Christ, Jesus, is the author and perfecter of our faith. Did Christ anyone ever leave anyone sick that came to him in faith? Absolutely not. He healed them all. The Bible says they came to him from every direction and he healed all that had any need of healing. They talk about Galatians, saying, uh, Paul saying in the letter of Galatians, I bear witness that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to me. And they, they, um, they say that Paul, when he had been struck blind by God in Acts chapter 9, when he was on the road to Damascus, that he never fully recovered of that eye problem, that, that blindness. And so there was actually a film and a pus. They actually say it's myopia or something. Or, no, it's, it's another word. It's an Asian, it's an, a rare Asian eye disorder. And they say Paul had that even to the end. And so the Galatian church, when he's writing to them, he says, you would have even plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And he, so he's actually saying that uh, the Galatians recognized the eye condition he had and they felt bad for him and they really pitied Paul. And then if you read the end of the letter of the Galatians, it says, see what large, what large letters I write with my own handwriting. And so they were saying that apparently Paul's original documents had... Um, the letters he wrote were actually like the letter A or B or C. Obviously, he didn't write in English letters, but they weren't. He wrote very large letters. Like, are you serious? He's not talking about large letters in the 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 size of the actual alphabet letter. He's talking about the long letters, large letters, large explanations. He's not talking about the like a better way to translate is the long letters, the the extremely detailed letters that I've been writing to you. Not talking about large, actual, the letters that he was writing were very large letters. It took him actually 18 sheets of paper to just write his greeting. I mean, some people are so not bright. You wonder how they even have the brain capacity to breathe. And then they spew that junk out to their congregations that, like I said last time, faith comes by hearing and faith also leaves by hearing. The words of some men. So number five, never build an entire doctrine based on one snippet of scripture. Number six, never think you're suffering for God's glory. Lazarus was not glorifying God when he died 
There was no glory given to God while he was sick. There was no glory given to God when Martha was crying about it. The glory came when the Bible says he rose from the dead. That's when the glory was given to God. That woman, when she was bent over double and was made well and her back was straightened, that's when the Bible says the, multiple, the multitudes glorified God and began to praise Him, the God of Israel, who had done such work amongst men. The Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 28, when Paul was at my, uh, Malta and he healed all that were in that land, then the multitudes came together and began to shower Paul with high blessings of honor. So God receives glory, not when you stay sick. God receives the glory when you are healed. Number seven, sickness is not God's discipline. I covered this before. He's not cha The word chastise means to educate and to train. So when the Lord trains and educates you, He does it by His word. The Bible is sufficient to teach you. It doesn't need help. The Bible does not need the help of Satan to prove a lesson to you, to get a, 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 a teaching implemented in your heart. God doesn't need the devil's help to train you up in righteousness. God does not need an agent of death to bring you life. Understand that. Understand that. Like I said before, none of you would put sickness on your child if he did something that you didn't want him to do. What would you do? You would train him. You'd teach him. You'd give him words. Maybe give him a little spanking. That's it. You never, you never make him sick. And if you would, you need to be locked up in a jailhouse. So God wouldn't do it for you or to you. Number eight, understand that there's four categories of sickness and disease listed in Matthew chapter eight. You look at the leper, Matthew eight, one through three, that's diseases of the flesh. You look at um, the nervous system, Matthew chapter eight, verses four through four through uh, 10 or 11, I think it is. There's the centurion servant who's paralyzed. That has to do with the nervous system. Anything to do with the brain, multiple cirrhosis, fibromyalgia, uh, ALS, Parkinson's. What did, what did Jesus do? He spoke the word and the servant was made well that same hour. Category number two, diseases of the nervous system. So whatever you're going through right now, if you're here watching this broadcast and you have uh, paralysis or you have some sort of neurological disorder Jesus healed those he healed diseases of the nervous system while he was on the earth number three blood disorders Simon Peter's mother-in-law had a fever fever resides in the blood Jesus rebuked the fever and she was made well number four demonic spirits and at evening they brought him all that were sick and de demon possessed and he healed them all so any disease caused by a demonic spirit Jesus exercised dominion over the four categories of sickness and disease without without error number nine there's no record of the disciples being sick while they were with jesus understand that while the disciples were with jesus he created an environment of health and recognize that christ liveth in you so if there was no sickness in the disciples' bodies while they were with Jesus, how much less should there be sickness in your body where Christ, you're not with Christ, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says while God's Spirit was leading the 
Israelites in the Old Testament, there was none feeble or weak amongst all their tribe. There, was, there wasn't just health. There was a culture of health in the people of God on the earth. Well, if the presence of God was able to do that under the Old Covenant, with Christ dwelling upon the people of God, how much more shall the presence of God dwelling within be able to produce and generate health in your body and to those around you? There's no record of the apostles being sick after that. In the book of Acts and in the, in the, in the letters of, uh, of Paul and Peter, matter of fact, 3 John 2, Paul say, uh, John says, I would that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. God's, under the inspiration of the Spirit, John wrote the desire of God. The, the, under the inspiration of the Spirit, God, John was writing God's express will for the people of God, that you would prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, in talking about the, this is important actually, talking about communion. He actually says, there's a lot of you that are weak and sick, and some of you are dying prematurely because you're not discerning the Lord's body. So he identifies that there's something wrong in the Corinthian church. People are dying prematurely. People are sick and people are weak. It ought not to be so. The reason why is because you don't discern the Lord's body. What does it mean by that? Well, there's two ways, you, two, two, two different applications to that. Number one, not discerning the Lord's body could be and is, there's division in the body, schisms in the body. You're not, you're not uh, cherishing the Lord's body and unity within the body. And as such, people are sick. And people are dying prematurely amongst you because you're, you're living in sin if you're out of unity. And then number two, not discerning the Lord's body is applied in the, in the sense that you don't understand that Christ's body was bruised and broken so ours can be healed. So when you're eating of the flesh, you're not appropriating that blessing because you don't understand that, that part of the gospel. That his, that body symbolizes the flesh of Christ that was cracked and broken so that by His stripes we could be made whole. And because you don't understand that, because you're ignorant to that, because you have no faith for it, when you're eating of the body and of the, the bread of Christ, it does you no good. It's not, you're not realizing the blessing of, and the benefit of redemption in that area because you've belittled Christ's body being broken for you. Number nine, uh, number ten. We have the blessing of Abraham. I read that in Galatians 3.13 and 14. But you know that part of the blessing of Abraham? I want to say something to you today that will lay the foundation, uh, 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 one of the main foundations for your healing. If you're not settled that God desires you to have a long life, you'll never contend for healing. The Bible says you're to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of for us. If you're not convinced that God wants you to live past 40, if God wants you to live, uh, that you're not convinced God wants you to live past 80, God wants you to, I mean, you set the bars how long, uh, uh, how long you want to live. Not God, he already said, man's day should be 120. So up to 120, you can have faith to live up to 120. And people always quote no, uh, Psalm 90 where David is saying, uh, what are man's days? 70th by 
reason of strength 80 years and their years are spent in sorrow and, and in grief. And they say, see, the Bible doesn't promise 120. It says 70, if not 80. Read the full verse. The verses preceding that one scripture where it says, what is man's life? 70 by reason of strength. 80. It says, let me read it. Psalm 90. Listen to this. We, verse 7. We've been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days are passed away in wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. So is he talking to people that are in line with the covenant or is he talking about people who have their iniquity set before God and their secret sins are coming out? He's talking about people that have violated the covenant. Consumed by your anger. God is angry at the sinner every day, but you're no longer a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you're a sinner, you can say, what is man's life? 70 if by reason of strength, 80. But the Bible says, it's because of the, the secret sins that have come to light that all their days have passed away in wrath. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength, 80. And their boast is only of labor and sorrow, and it's soon cut away and we fly away. So, actually, it's not David. It was Moses writing the song. Moses is literally saying, something is not right. If people are living a 70 or 80 years, that's not right. Even seven, well, if I get 70 years, praise God, I'll be happy with that. Why would you sell yourself short? Abraham over, you know, Abraham is after Genesis 6, where God said, man's day shall be 120. Abraham lived to 175, and he's called the, the father of faith. His faith shot him past the 120. You look at Isaac, he lived to 140, I think it was. Jacob, 135. Moses was 120 years old. His natural strength was not abated. Moses didn't die because he was sick. Some people say, well, if you never get sick, how are you ever going to die? The Bible says how we're to die. The Bible says his spirit takes away our breath and we return to the earth. You don't have to die sick. You don't have to die of a cardiac arrest. You don't have to die of, of, uh, of cancer. Well, he's 90, you know, he's got cancer. You know, what? well, he lived 90 years. He, it doesn't have to be the cancer that takes him out. Moses was 120. His natural strength was not abated, nor did his eyes grow dim. He was vibrant and strong, even at 120 years old. Caleb was 85 years old, and he said, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40. Give me now this mountain so that I can fight and gain it as my inheritance. Moses had such a check on his in his walk with God, that the devil couldn't get to him in the area of his health until after he died. Then he went after his body. Do you remember Jude says, Satan in contending over the body of Moses, dare not. Satan in contending over the body of Moses, the angel Mark, Mark, uh, Mike, Michael, the archangel, dare not bring a reviling accusation against him. So Satan was contending for Moses' body. He couldn't get him when he was alive, but he has such an insatiable, twisted, sadistic desire to make people sick. And he hated Moses so much because he walked with God that he said, okay, he's dead. I'll, I'll, I'll kill him twice. 
I'll make him sick now. If I couldn't put the cancer on him when he was alive, I'll try and put him on him now. Which it didn't matter at that point, but even at that, the archangel Michael preserved Moses' body because God cares about your body. So you can see in that scripture, there's a twisted, twisted desire in Satan's mind and heart to make your body sick, but there's also a, a love and compassion for God. Even after Moses was dead, God still made it a point to preserve Moses' body. And we have the blessing of Abraham. What was Abraham's blessing? The Bible says very clearly, Genesis 15. As for you, Abraham, you will go to your fathers at a good old age and you'll depart and be with them in peace. Good old age. 40 is not a good old age. 50 is not a good old age. Psalm 91. Because he has loved me, I will set him securely on high. I will what? I will answer him and be with him in trouble and deliver him from all his troubles. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Number 10, we have the blessing of Abraham. Number 11, God promised protection from all sickness and disease. Exodus 15, 26. Exodus 23, 25. If you'll obey the Lord your God, He will bless your bread and your water and He will take sickness out of your midst. Not He'll heal you when you get sick. He'll go a step further and make you supernaturally healthy so that Sickness doesn't even know your address anymore on the earth. He'll take sickness, remove it from the midst of you. Number 12, faith carries the power of God to your body. The Bible says in Romans 4, Abraham grew strong in faith. Faith within itself carries the capacity to heal your body because it releases the omnipotence of God into your system. Faith releases you from the cosmos the bible says this is the faith this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith the world that word is cosmos the fallen system of this world we live in a fallen world faith alleviates you from the consequence and the burden and oppression of the cosmos the fallen system to bring us access into god's heavenly system Proverbs 4, 20 and 22, the Bible says that the word of God is life to those that find him and health. Medicine is another word used in that scripture. The word of God, when believed upon, is medicine. The problem is, is people don't know how to, uh, people, uh, people don't know how to apply the medicine. Just like when a doctor gives out a prescription, he shows you how to take the medicine. If you just said, well, I'm gone the next two weeks, so I'm going to take two weeks worth of medicine in one shot, you might overdose and die. It's, there's a specific time that you have to set aside in the morning or at night, whatever it is, to take that medicine. Sometimes it says with food. Well, the Bible says we are to meditate therein day and night. Can't just visit this Bible whenever we need help. If you'll live in this Bible, it'll actually generate divine health in your body. And it'll be health to all your flesh. The Bible says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Fear the Lord, depart from evil, and it will be strength to your bones. Number 13, the Holy Spirit in you incapa incapacitates all sickness and all disease. Just the Spirit of God. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Look at what the Spirit of God did in the days when He was in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that the, 
the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines and placed next to the idol Dagon. When they went to bed and woke up the next morning, Dagon had fallen on its face because it had been set next to the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God on which was the, the, the presence of God housed here on the earth. The next day, they find him falling on his face. His hands had broken up. They went and glued him up, put him back up. The next day after that, his head had cracked off, severed, deca decapitated. You know what that tells you? The Bible says it was never God's will for his presence to dwell in temples made with human hands or in that ark. His will was to make you and I the dwelling place of the Most High on the earth. Look at what the presence of God did to that idol. That's how you have to see the presence of God in you. It incapacitates any vile form of sickness and disease. It incapacitates demon presence. It incapacitates any alien entity around me. Anything that is not accepted by heaven, the presence of God in me, any foreign idol, strange presence, the Bible says just by the presence of God in us, it has the power to overthrow every idol of Dagon in your life. In the name of Jesus, as that revelation kicks in your spirit, every form of disease, every spirit of infirmity, every Dagon that has overstepped its welcome and has overstayed its welcome in your body, it falls flat and breaks once and for all. Number 14, the blood of Jesus is your covenant access. The blood of the Lamb in the days of the exodus of Israel from the land of Egypt, when they put it on the lintel on the doorpost, what did it do? The Bible says when the destroyer came, it saw the blood and it passed over. Well, in the same vein, we don't have the blood, we don't have the blood of a, a natural lamb. We have the blood of the actual Lamb of God on our lintel, on our homes, and on our doorposts, on our lives, on our bodies. As such, any destroying agent, and sickness is a destroying agent. Any destroying agent has no ability to touch this body. I'm covered by the blood. There's that old song that says, When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. That blood serves as a glowing neon sign to sickness and disease. You have to pass over. Number 15. The name of Jesus has all authority and all power. Philippians 2, at the mention of his name, every knee, including the knee of sickness, including the knee of disease, including the knee of cancer, including the knee of, of, of uh, kidney failure, including the knee of liver failure, including the knee of high blood pressure, including the knee of Parkinson's, every knee shall bow at the mention of the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 3, the Bible says, they picked up that lame man at the gate called Beautiful and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Get up and walk. And Acts 3.16 says it's through his name, through the faith that comes by him, has made this man perfectly strong. Faith in the name of God. Just like, you know, a mosquito can carry malaria and bacteria, even so the name of Jesus carries the power of, the power of God. That when you speak it out of your little humble lips, it releases the full-fledged flood of God's power into your situation. That drowns every foreign power. Just like when uh, Moses and Aaron let down the rod. And the Egyptians let down their rods. And the three rods of Egypt were swallowed by the, the one rod of Aaron. 
That symbolized God's power swallowing up, swallowing up sickness, swallowing up disease, swallowing up pain, swallowing up anything the devil or this world would ever throw at you. And that power, they have to throw the rod. We have to speak the name. When you speak the name, that name will go to work and swallow up every poison in your system. And then number 16, and I finish with this. Understand that you're grafted. You are grafted in the vine. You are grafted in the vine. Even if a branch is diseased, if you graft it into a healthy vine, the diseased branch will take on the health of the vine. Not the vine taking on the disease of the, of the, the branch. The branch will take on the health of the vine, of the core, of the, the root of that tree. The Bible says in John 15, we abide in him and he abides in us. And as such, we bring forth his fruit in our life. Well, what's the fruit of Christ? Health. There's no sickness in heaven. There should be no sickness in you as we are grafted into Christ. Every poison, every disease, every all the nature of hell and, and of the fallen nature of the first Adam loses its hold on our life. Because the nature of the last Adam, Christ, flows through us. I have the DNA of Christ. I don't have human DNA anymore. I have Christ's DNA flowing through me. Romans 11 says uh, that we are grafted by faith into Christ. And as such, we are partakers of his root and of his, the fatness, the, 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 the nourishment of the vine. The Bible says very clearly, when people hooked up with Christ, their sickness didn't get into him. His health got into them and, uh, and cleared out every form of sickness and disease. You have to understand the mystery of engraftment, the mystery of being of abiding in him and him abiding in you, or else you'll live a frustrated life. The Bible says, by these great and magnificent promises in this Bible, we are partakers of his divine nature. I want, you, I want to read one scripture. And then we're going to pray. Exodus chapter 15. Thanks for staying on with me. If you're just tuning in now. If you could share the broadcast. People will watch the replay. But Exodus 15. Listen to this. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness. And found no water. When they came to Marah which means bitter, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called bitter, Marah. And the people complained against Moses and against, against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made a statute and an ordinance for them there and tested them. And he said, if you'll diligently hearken or heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will allow or put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. What does that tell you? When they got to the waters, they were bitter waters. There might be poison in your body right now, bitter poison, bacteria in your system, infection, virus, disease. But what happened when they took that, you know, they said when they cried out, when Moses cried to the Lord, 
Did the Lord just say, watch this and snap his fingers? No. He showed him. He gave him prophetic instructions. He showed him a piece of wood, which that wood, if you study any theology book, is a type and shadow of the cross. And he said, take that wood and cast it into the waters that are bitter. And as the two join together, the bitter will be made sweet. When we accepted the finished work of Christ on that cross for ourselves and believed on the atoning, the redemptive work of Christ, the atonement, that wood symbolically was cast in to the bitter waters, sickness-filled bodies. And the bitterness is converted to sweetness as the two were made one. Those who have been joined to the Lord, Paul said, are one with Him. So, what does that tell you? By the mystery of engraftment, anything foreign to the nature of God gets expelled out of your system. And the nature of God overwhelmingly takes over your whole body. Notice how the, the piece of wood didn't take on the bitterness of the waters. The water. And I mean, think of it. If you're a water filtration expert and you're watching, you understand that water is not purified by wood. You don't just throw wood in water. That was showing what Christ would ultimately come and do for you and for me. That if you're lying now in your sickbed, if you're in ICU, if you're in uh, palliative care, given over to death, and the devil's whispering into your ear, see, God doesn't care for you. I'm here to tell you, the same way he was moved to compassion and he healed the multitudes in those days, he's here today. That if you'll appropriate the same blessing they have to do in those days and work out that faith here today and receive the finished work of the cross, accept that when you receive Christ as Savior, that would, that cleared out the bitter waters then. I received that for myself to clear out the bitterness of sickness from my body. And you'll see how my God can turn things around. He created the whole world in six days. He does not need more than five minutes to handle your case. He doesn't need more than five minutes to deal with you. There's nothing the devil's done to you in your body that God will not do something about it right now. So in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, just as your word says, he sent forth his word and it healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. I send that word of healing into your body right now. You shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. The devil might have won the first battle, but God's going to have the final say. The scripture is very clear to show you that in this world there might be trial and tribulation. Don't beat yourself up because you are sick. Look to Christ and be saved. The Bible is a catalog of people who when they turn to God, just like in Numbers 21, the plague broke out. They started to drop off like flies. But when they looked to the brazen serpent, they lived. Look and live. Look and live. 
Those were all types and shadows. How much more should we have faith to receive those redemptive benefits now that we don't have a type? We have the actual body of Christ that we can look to on that cross. We can look back to. And thank God He didn't stay there. He rose again from the dead three days later. To not just be the testator of the will. You know what the New Testament, you know what testament means? It means a will. The testament, the will of a person. The New Testament is the last and final will of God the Father. Jesus was not only the testator of that will, He's the enforcer, the enforcer of that will. He didn't just die to cut that covenant for you and for me. He's now in heaven ready and willing, looking over the banister of heaven saying, if there can be one who believe, I'll lift them up out of that horrible pit called sickness and I'll shine them forth. I mean, you look at, at every healing evangelist. You look at any great evangelist. All of them were healed of a sickness and a disease. All of them. Lester Sumrall was given over to death from tuberculosis. God healed him. And he went to preach and had one of the greatest ministries. Smith Wigglesworth. God healed him on several occasions. You look at uh, John Alexander Dowie. When I talked about that story before, during the plague. You look at, at uh, what's his name? Reinhard Bonnke's family legacy, who led 79 million people to the Lord. How it all started with his grandfather getting saved. How did his grandfather get saved? An evangelist from, the Amer from America during the Azusa Street Revival gets the fire of God. Sorry, sorry, an evangelist from Germany goes to America, gets the fire of God at Azusa Street, the Pentecostal fire and the outpouring of the Spirit, goes back to Germany, goes through a town where he's actually lost in the woods, finds a town, a village, comes out of his car, goes to the town like clerk, the, the, the convenience store guy. He was the only one open at the point. He said, at that point, he says, uh, do you guys, the first question he asked, do you know, are there any sick here? Do you have any sick here? That was the first question he asked. And he said, yeah, there's one guy. And uh, you, you'll actually hear him if you listen to him. And they heard an excruciating cry because the guy was in agony. And he, went to that, he brought him to his house, went by his sickbed. He said, if I lay my hands on you and you're healed right now, will you believe in Jesus Christ being the Son of God and give your life to him? And he said, yes. Laid hands on him, healed him. That was Reinhard Bonnke's grandfather. The guy was dying, had been in that condition for several years. God healed him, and what did that do? It kick-started a chain that eventually led to one of the greatest miracle ministries of our time. Hallelujah. So in the mighty name of Jesus, right now I pray for everyone watching. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, be healed in your body. I cursed the work of the devil. The Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of Satan. The manifestation of God means the degradation and abolition of Satan's work. Be free in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.